Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. By a mile, the best hurling game of the 2016 Championship. A full house of croaker for the football and a couple of late, late nights watching the 2016 Olympic Games opening weekend. That was a pretty decent couple of days of sport. I'm sure you're the very own Ken studio here for today's busy edition of the Irish Times Second Camps podcast. Hi, Owen. How are you? Good, Ken. I'm, I'm energised. Uh, although I do feel... Yeah, high energy. High energy. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? All right, please. When a clip emerges of a gruesome sporting accident oh, yeah. and the headline says... Well, in this case, French gymnast suffers shocking leg break. Yes. Warning, this clip contains shocking image of gymnast suffering shocking leg break. Do you A, click on the video and watch the shocking leg break, or B, decide that nothing can be gained from watching the shocking leg break and just move on with the rest of it? I click and watch. Do you click and watch every time? Every time. Oof. I can't take my eyes off these clickbait videos. The more horrific, the more compelled I feel to watch. I suppose I'm a bit like Lot's wife phone. I just I know I shouldn't do it, <laughs> but there's something about it, there's some uncanny fascination that I have um, that forces me to uh, to consume it. Uh, so that's just the way I. I'm I stepped wired. away from. It. I took option B this time. You're I've become a stronger person. You are in the minority on <laughs> in terms of people on the planet. I'm not uh, saying I never... Most of us are clickers and watchers. Oh, no, I, well, yeah, I'm not saying I don't... I'm immune to clickbait. I mean, if I was, mm. I might be the only one. But just that that isn't... I, I understand the clickbaiting element of it, but I just... Maybe I'm too squeamish. I didn't, I didn't realise I was a particularly squeamish human being until now, but uh, maybe I just don't want to see people's legs snapped in all sorts of... Direct. I've heard enough about it. I think I've heard more... It can't actually be as gruesome as what I've been, <laughs> what I've been hearing. It was bad. Okay, then it can't yeah. be as gruesome. Go on, yeah. I, I, I wonder why it doesn't happen more often in, in that sport, which is consistently the most impressive or the most amazing, from my point of view, thing that I see in the Olympics every the gymnastics. time. It's gymnastics. It's just I can't get my head around how they're able to do this stuff. It's insane to me that they can do it. It's, it's totally, I mean, I can imagine, you know, people, Michael Phelps, you know, does incredible things in a swimming pool. But I can see what he's doing. You know, I can kind of understand how he does that stuff. He's just ridiculously good at 
what he does. The 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 gymnasts are doing things that you just didn't think would be possible. Which routine in particular? Um, they, I mean, horse? They, they kind of all do. Not, actually, the pommel horse probably least of all. The Wait, horse, was this the first one that came into the pommel horse? Maybe least of all. But you know the 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 vaults, the beam, the you know the the crazy sort of somersaults they can do on this narrow narrow beam. Yeah, I find that just amazing. The the height they get up to doing these kind of multiple somersaults on the floor. I don't know. Plus, it's got one of the stars of the games. In this case, Simone Biles is sort of who, who, who I'm trying to. Has she been on yet? Yeah, she was on last night. Yeah, because I can never find her. I keep wanting to see. I looked at that thing on the New York Times, like everybody else on the planet. You know, the New York Times did this feature on her, mm-hmm. where they kind of uh, analyzed some aspects of, uh, you know, what makes her such an exceptional gymnast. And I was just kind of flicking around, going, "Wow, why are they not showing? Why none of the channels that I have?" Which are showing them, you know, which are basically RT2, BBC2, BBC4, BBC1 sometimes, whatever. And I can't access it. What? Why is nobody showing this? Why, am, why do I keep having to watch Rugby 7s, hockey? There's a lot of Rugby 7s on. On every, on every station, that is true. I watched a bit of the hockey. What are, are you watching that? Well, yeah, we'll get on to that because I, uh, there was one of the... See, I did see... Okay, well, I was going to mention that I saw... Anime fan Vluten, first of all, go head mm. over heels. Just to keep with the keep with the injury. Well, did you film. watch that video? No, I was watching it live. Or I was watching a tape delayed. Although I did get it. There was a WhatsApp to the group, to our second captain's group from Mark Organ saying, Oh my god, did you see that crash? I got a couple of messages about and it. And I hadn't seen it at that stage, but funny enough, I think I must have been watching it on about a ten minute tape delay and then it, it actually occurred to me as I was watching the cycling, this could be where the the crash that he's talking about, I presume it is. And I didn't look away, Ken, so maybe maybe I do still have a little bit of the voyeur in me. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I watched her. Uh, the poor person go head over heels. She had been leading when she crashed spectacularly. Uh, she tweeted last night, "Say I'm now in the hospital with some injuries and fractures, but we'll be fine," uh, which is which is good, uh, albeit still um, some significant enough injuries. There, Kieran Bean finished out his floor routine in gymnastics despite dislocating his knee in the first tumble. I found that incredible. Mm. Did he dislocate his knee in the first tumble? I assumed it was in the very last move because no, first tumble. He, uh, you know, he. He didn't seem to be impeded, although I wasn't really watching. Well, he did a bad spot. routine. Yeah, and he did. Uh, he had been going really well, and if he had nailed the last one, nailed the floor routine, he would have had a chance of getting into the final. But he had, a, yeah, he, he had a bad first tumble. I didn't, I didn't realize he injured himself, but it would explain why that was the only really negative part of his whole. Because day. he he finished, uh, you know, he landed, and he was obviously in pain at the moment that he he landed at the very end, and he kind of immediately his hand then went down to his knee and then he kind of gingerly was trying to get off the floor mm. and he wasn't bending his leg at all, you know? Oh, yeah, he was wheelchaired out of there at the end. Um, and, and I thought, wow. Uh, so, so I just assumed the injury had happened right at the end because I didn't see if he had an injury which prevented him from bending his leg, how he would have been able to do all the moves leading up to that final bit. But, you know, I don't know anything about gymnastics. Literally, I see gymnastics and I'm just Wowed staring by at it going, years. I can't believe it. Uh, I don't believe people can do this. And yeah, point out the hockey. I did watch hockey against one of the Irish players, Connor Hart. Now, unfortunately, it lost 5-0 to the Dutch, which is not ideal. But one of the players, I was very impressed with his bravery as well, came back onto the field against the Netherlands, despite getting talented Mr. Ripley by the back of one of the Dutch lad sticks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't get talented Mr. Ripley across the face, but he did get it right to the midriff in blocking a shot. Right. John, John Terry said, you know, he's kind of legging it out to block a shot. Yeah. And whatever way it happened, you can see he, he, he was, he's calling for attention straight away, and he, you can kind of see him lifting up the top, lifting up his jersey 
And it's just this horrible gash. That's already, like, only moments after it's occurred. It's already, you can see it opening up. I'm thinking, geez, that doesn't look good. So he was down for ages, went off the field. And then suddenly the commentator said, 15, 20 minutes later, Guess oh, yeah, back. Connor Hart's back in the field. Yeah, fair so play. So fair play to all these brave Olympians. Fair play to him. Um, mm. We, I, I was looking at the anthem. I was surprised it was around Naveen, actually. I thought it might, thought might, have, been, might have been an Ireland's call type situation, but... Uh, Went ahead with Aaron Levine and not sung lustily by everybody. A few, a few, a few <laughs> members of the team sang along, and others pressed their lips tightly together. Which is the same with the soccer team. As everybody well. feels uh, proud to wear that shirt. The six world records, I think, have been broken in the swimming so far. Michael Phelps won his nineteenth gold medal as part of the four by one hundred meters freestyle freestyle relay. But actually, we listened to a little bit of Phelps here. Chalmers from Australia up there in lane number three. That's the team I think that really has got a great shot of winning this. He was forty-seven flat. In the preliminaries, but he has won that. What a big turn! What a big turn! What a big turn by Michael Phelps! And Phelps is going to get him a significant lead. Way out by more than a second. As a former swimmer yourself, Ken? Yeah. Impressed by that turn? It was good. What a big turn! That turn. It was, uh, it was a good turn. I mean, he, he turned second, uh, went underwater a long way, and emerged in the lead, considering the. Although I do think it was a bad turn by the French swimmer. Uh, that also. What's the key to a good turn? Well, um, it depends. Uh, I mean, the key to a good turn. What's the key to a good turn? I suppose there are a lot of things. I mean, Michael Phelps has always been a bit unusual in that he can, you know, he's so good at swimming underwater just using the dolphin kick. Um, I mean, they're they're all good. These guys are on the. They're all they're all pretty good at this, but he's kind of exceptional at it. I mean, the problem. You know, and you see Ryan Lochte doing the same thing now with a kind of almost backstroke type uh, turn where he comes off the wall and actually remains on his back all the way until he's just about to come out of the uh, resurface. Um, and he makes a phenomenal distance up that uh, way and can travel faster. He wrecks fa- travel, travel faster under the water, uh, under the turbulence than he does uh, on, at the actual surface when he's using his arms as well. Um, the cost to it is obviously that you don't get to breathe for the time that you're underwater. So um, that's a kind of a trade-off. Mm. Um, some, someone on the surface might have taken two breaths by the time you resurface. Uh, so it's a question of, uh, that's also a question of fitness, I suppose, the, the level to which you can, um, you know, you can kind of uh, not work off not that much oxygen. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and use your kind of uh, aerodynamic, well, aquadynamic. Abilities. Yeah, aquadynamic. I don't know if that's a word, but it certainly is. Now, we'll aquadynamic. We'll be putting it. No, it's aquadynamic. We will we'll be putting out extra Olympic podcasts for you uh, starting tomorrow. But we'll be checking in with Keith Duggan today in Rio. Ushin and Carl Mannion are going to be in to chat about the wins for Dublin the Mayo in the football. But it was a classic of an All Ireland hurling semi final at Croker yesterday. Owen Kelly's ready to go. Malachi Clerken is right here beside me. Malachi, how are you? All right, Owen. Your level of surprise. Okay, four points. Uh, four point lead about five minutes ago for Waterford. Your level of surprise that Kilkenny managed to turn it around? Uh, zero. <laughs> zero. Uh, is there a less than zero? Is there a <laughs> minus Kelvin? Uh, yeah. Um, Even with the momentum that yeah. Waterford had, the sort of points they were hitting at that stage, I know it did start to tail off towards the end. You're just you, there was always going to be a sting for Kilkenny. Well, it's just if it had been anybody else, you'd have been you'd have been a lot more confident. Let's put it that way. Uh, that that that. Um, the trailing team wouldn't have made it back, but it, it we've just been there that mm-hmm. many times before, you know. And um, 
Waterford started to wobble at exactly the wrong time. You know, the the things that they had done so well um, started to go wrong for them uh, just when they couldn't afford for that to happen. And, um, like, the two um, the two Hawkeye points, um, like, they were kind of dramatic when they were, when you were in the ground. But, like, they were... They were bad misses, you know. Like, I know they only missed by an inch either side, but like Austin Gleason's one, Austin Gleason was standing, it was the easiest shot he had all day. Yeah, he was scoring some ridiculous it, points. It, it should have gone straight over the black spot. Like, Hawkeye shouldn't have been in it, you know. And Kevin Warren's one, like, actually, he actually had Paddy Curran away inside him and could have just fed him a hand pass. So they were starting to, like, just the the little bit of composure and the little bit of fluidity that they had before was starting to ebb away. And obviously fatigue has a bit to do with that. Fatigue of the mind, fatigue of the body. And they were retreating as well. And in in that that, that space is where where, you know, Kilkenny live. Even if they're even if they're in mediocre form like they were yesterday. You know, the um they had so many players who who just weren't firing, who 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 weren't as dynamic as you usually see them, um, and yet you you still knew that that if if there was only three points in it or four points in it going into injury time or going into the last sort of three or four minutes, well, that's really only two pucks of a ball, and even even in on a mediocre day, Kilkenny can get two pucks of the ball. They can like. Walter Walsh's goal, like he and Colin Fennelly all day, their their main um, contributions had been just kind of catching puck outs, making nuisances of themselves. Uh, they and they did that quite well in the first half, but they really sort of went out of it. And yet, they got amongst the the Waterford defence coming out with the ball, savaged them in in tackles. And played an incredible one too. Like, like we sort of take for granted. It, you, I saw somebody even say afterwards it was kind of a scrappy goal. Like, what the 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 margins um, for for Walsh to pick the ball, give it to Fenley, get it back to, from Fenley, and put it in the net were so minuscule. And yet, they just have that composure and that sense that that yes, this is possible, so yes, we will do it. It's yeah, it's the very definition of top-level sport, really, yeah. isn't it? Keeping your composure yeah. and executing your skills when you're, you should be under pressure. I don't yeah. know if Kilkenny necessarily feel pressure at any point. Yeah, well, I, I kind of feel, I think they do, in a way, in that they feel the, the pressure not to um, lose a game that can be won. I, think, I sometimes think it's quite instructive that when, when Kilkenny lose games... They, in my mind's eye, anyway, they get hockeyed in games. You know, like they they lost to Clare in the league semi final this year, and got, got hammered. Like, and I think their last championship loss was against Cork in twenty thirteen, the day that Sheffield got sent off, and they lost by a fair bit that day. You think of the times that they've lost down the years, like a Leinster final to Dublin in twenty eleven, whatever. They got hockeyed that day as well. But they, when games are are. are are in the melting pot and when they're there to be won they they put the pressure on themselves to come through that sort of challenge mm-hmm. you know the the very it's very hard to kind of picture the last one or two point game that they lost or that they didn't drag out of the fire or that they didn't get a a, a draw out of and it's it's i think they put that pressure on themselves not to walk back into the dressing room you know i think they sort of allow themselves sometimes to walk back into the dressing room and go look hurling a team can get cleaned out someday but 
damn it, we're not going to lose a mm. two-point game. We're not going to lose a one-point game because, you know, we don't do that. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought, I thought of it that way. We've been talking mostly Kilkenny so far, Owen Kelly, but what about Waterford? I haven't heard the phrase threw off the shackles as often in my life as I have in the last <laughs> 24 hours. Is that what they did? Did they just uh, go for broke? They did. They went for broke. They had a mixture. They had a mixture of what previously Derek McGrath had them set out to play. You know, we'll say you could see man and up, man for man on the puck outs. But then when they'd attack and when it'd break down, you could see him filtering back the field from their half forward line. We'll say just back for protection because they, at times in rocks and that it looked like they were outnumbering Kilkenny, which they did. And they they out muscled Kilkenny there yesterday. Um, they outran them. And everything, you know, so they were absolutely a joy to watch there. Like, and they have the skill set with the players. Like, you watch Austin Gleeson just every day. I can't stop raving about the chap. Mm-hmm. He's just, it's unbelievable the things he can do. But, you know, they really played as a team. They were kind of working the balls up to the wings. Right, Kevin Moore had a goal chance or two in the second half. It would have been interesting if he had just had to nail that. A goal against the Kenny means so much. If you can get two or three against them likely easier going to win the game you know but that's something he'll probably work on for the next day Derry McGrath but just to go back to Malachy's point just the last couple of minutes and I've been through it I think it was a case of the 2009 All-Ireland final after half time totally dominated Kilkenny could have put 2-5 on the board we only put one point on the board they got their stage of dominance and they hit their 2-5 put it up on the scoreboard you were beaten out of sight Kilkenny win the All-Ireland so you know that's the heartbreak for Waterford today but the only thing is they're going through it. They're getting more experience at winning these tight games. Under 21 against Clare when they were being defeated, tipped through back level with them in under 21. But you have to do it at the senior level. And it was a great chance uh, yesterday. I think they might have lost their chance going into the semi final next weekend. I hope I'm wrong. But they were awesome yesterday for your 67, 68 minutes. And just that bit of their play got snappy. I think that's the word I'd use for the last couple of minutes, which then brought him back to, we'll say, um, not controlling the game, just kind of playing out the clock, like, and that's something you can't do. Like, the best line of defence, I think, at times, is to attack. And I would, if they had to do that right up to the 75th minute, I think they would have they won that game. But just even as Maliki said, there were the two controversial uh, Hawkeye scores that probably should have been scored. We went through it maybe a couple of years ago in the All-Ireland Final 2014 against them as well, like, you know, Kilkenny just seemed to get that look, but I think they squeeze you so much mentality-wise is that you you snap at a shot and, um, you know, if you take your composure, you're cool and calm. The other two boys, Kevin Moore and, and Austin Gleeson, probably should have nailed them, but you turn around then and Paul Murphy had a chance to win the game for him, so it just shows you Kilkenny's resilience. But to answer your question, Owen, they were absolutely awesome, awesome yesterday at Waterford. Um, they really outran, outworked Kilkenny, like their skill levels are unbelievable. Some of the scores Park Manny got, they were on the sideline, on the touchline, and uh, you know they were just, you know, they were they were unbelievable. And I, I hope we see the exact same again next Saturday night, and and let the best team win. But Kilkenny have been there for replays before as well. Even we see after the match, no Kilkenny player came out for the interview. I see Austin Gleeson was out. You know he was downhearted, even though he was trying to say, look, we didn't lose. But you could see his his body language. Now Park Manny obviously had to talk because he was collecting the man of the match but Kilkenny doesn't know how to control the couple of days between games and uh, that'll be massive in the psychological and the, the mental preparation for a Saturday night which is what it's going to be it's not to do with fitness levels now 
It's to do with the um, tactically and both mentally for the week. Is that a very conscious thing, do you think, from Brian Cody? Maliki for replays that he just says, especially maybe if there's only a short turnaround, it's like when we're not going to do an, an interview uh-huh. here. Gonna say I, I, I promise you it's conscious because <laughs> I have better experience of standing at their team bus after the drawn final in 2014. And I swear to God, and now, like, you know, I, I don't want to bore people with the terrible life of a journalist, but on a, it was on the Sunday evening of an All-Ireland final, and I, we stood there for an hour waiting on them to come out of the dressing room uh, on the on the basis that we'd be able to get a word with somebody. And they all strolled grim-faced past us. And that's, a, that's an All-Ireland final. So <laughs> that you, was an All-Ireland final. Like two, three weeks. They, had, they, they had a fortnight or three weeks. Fortnight I can't least, remember yeah, what yeah. it was, but like... And, Stand there, Maliki. Any time they lost an Ireland final, then you'll have the courage to stand there and get a few words after they lost an Ireland final. They're actually. Do you know what I wonder? Well, actually, I can't remember the last time they lost an Ireland final. I wasn't there, but they they're they're grand when they lose. But they actually they just stroll grim face and and uh, so yeah, it's absolutely conscious. Um, the and <laughs> I didn't make the same mistake again yesterday. I went straight up and started working. <laughs> It's funny you mentioned the uh, you mentioned a stat in the uh, in the paper today that was that for the first sixty three minutes mm. Waterford hit four wides and in the last seven odd plus injury time they hit six wides. Yeah. So while Owen talks about the I guess the natural inclination to abandon the attacking philosophy somewhat in the last mm. few minutes, it's just the same in every sport. You, you know, if you're winning against a, a supposedly superior team, you do tend to funnel back. They still had the chances to actually win it, so it, was, oh, yeah. it, was, it wasn't so much the approach change; it's the accuracy deserted them for whatever reason. And I mean, and, and again, like, and, and you don't want to go into too much cod psychology here, but again, it's that a podcast, has to be, It's exactly what we want to do. But that has to be Kilkenny <laughs> getting into your head. You, you know, it has to be the 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 fact that these guys aren't dead, and we ha- and if you're from Waterford you haven't beaten them in 60 years and this is our chance to beat them and they were t- you know I, they were taking some of the shots like one of them were okay one of the wides was uh, Gleason hit a sideline wide that can happen uh, I, it was I know I, I know people were kind of going you know that's a, a low percentage shot but he was having such a day <laughs> I I'll give Austin Gleason an injury time sideline ball anytime fair enough um, but there were others like uh, Brian O'Halloran come off the bench and hit one from the sideline and you were kind of going, I don't know if that was the shot to take. Uh, maybe kind of work that back inside. Just their kind of clarity of thought and clarity of, or purity of swing, however way you want to put it, um, just deserted them when the game was there to be killed. And and that was it. Um, and I... It was. I thought it was. I thought that was a very stark statistic. You know, you, sometimes you can use the wides in in different ways, but to only hit four all day for sixty three minutes and then hit six when the game is there to be won. Like, okay, fatigue, as I say, has a part to play there. You know, they'd really left every bit of themselves on the pitch, and especially you know, Kevin Warren uh, had had I think four wides over the course of the day, and like he was he was at both ends of the pitch. He was doing an awful lot of work, but. There's there's a mentality thing there, you know. It, like, I really like. Who do we know? We don't know anything. But if Kilkenny had six shots at the post in those seven minutes, we'd be here talking about God. Waterford just really, you know, it's terrible that they lost. But I think Kilkenny only had three in that in that time, and like two of them 
were go- well, the one was goal, one was a point, and Paul Murphy's went wide. We did talk about the composure in executing the goal when they had to own, but I was quite interested, even in the equalising, wasn't Conor Fogarty's equalising point, how they worked it from a goal, uh, from a puck out, uh, a couple of little passes, and then the, the shot. Because, you know, the traditional idea that Kilkenny will always be comfortable if they bomb the ball on top of their forwards, they'll, they'll, they'll win their ball and they'll get a score. It was almost like a, a Cork 2005-style goal. It was, a, it was a proper old school, a proper uh, short puck out and composure and finish. It was, but I'd say Owen Murphy has a couple of options with that short puck out because simply Watford had retreated back, just hanging on to the lead like you know and, and that's the thing and you mentioned it there you know when you're playing a superior team like if you're ahead against them you're kind of saying we shouldn't be in this position what are we doing in this position you know let's hang on to it lads instead of attacking the lead but uh, no I suppose when Conor Fogarty got the ball and to see him shooting from maybe 78 yards you're like oh I don't know about <laughs> this but he, he nailed it and I'd say if you went into Kenny dressing room afterwards that match I'd say they would have been actually happy you know, I mean, in comparison to Walford Dresden, maybe one disappointed man in there, Paul Murphy probably would have said to himself, I had a chance to win that game because that's the way he'd think, that's the way they think, and he'd be comfortable striking 70, 80 yards because he's well able. So, you know, and maybe the way he'd be thinking, the reason, reason for that is they brought on two subs, so they used 17 players, six-day turnaround. So, Kenny, don't, Frank Cody ideally wouldn't be looking for more games because a couple of them are at the, the other side of 30, and especially one of his key men, Michael Fenley. You know, it could be interesting to see how he recovers uh, in six days to, to put in, you know, for that a battle that's going to come again. You know, so, like, it's just, it's, they're so used to being in Croke Park in those positions, nailing those shots, like, and, uh, you know, Conor Fogarty probably was one of his lesser games. He wasn't on the ball much. But I'm sure if you tracked his he's running to get back to cover, it's probably through the roof again. He's that kind of player. But um you know, Kilkenny no, I couldn't I was watching just and I couldn't see how they were going to get back into it. And then to see Walter Walsh on the end of a move and hitting the ball in the back of the net, you're wondering how he got the space for number one because Walter had kinda of, you know, they were well compacted at the back. So they just able to pull a move out out of somewhere like it's it's just you have to compliment their resilience and uh, and the technique and Walter finishing it because he doesn't look very comfortable off the left, but there wasn't a chance to, of of that ball being blocked, you know. So just their mentality, just where they are under under Brian Cody's regime and where they've been the last ten or sixteen seasons with them, like just that, you know. And I think it was mentioned on the television yesterday to be outworked and outmuscled is one thing I'd say that would have Brian Cody like a savage coming home on that bus yesterday evening and you know I expect to see more savagery from next Saturday evening the replay Well I think the one the the one thing you know we need to say about Waterford and we there the, youth is such a double-edged sword um, at the top uh, level of sport you know that the youth of them the youth of Austin Gleeson is what a, gives him the the sort of license to do some of the things he does. You know, like he scored a point yesterday where he kind of he kind of bunny hopped away from a tackle and pirouetted and put it over the bar uh, and left Kieran Joyce for dead. And like it was really kind of unorthodox. And you're kind of going, wow, like who even tries something like that? But their youth again is is what sort of betrayed them after Park Mahoney put them ahead in the seventy fourth minute. Like, okay, retreat, uh, and okay, even give up the short puck out. Um, but you got to mark the rest of your men. You can't. And I, I think they were like, like you were saying there, one that 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 they presumed Owen Murphy was going to land a bomb down on mm-hmm. on top of Walter Walsh, and you know, may the best man win. But 
Murphy had taken actually the two puck outs before that had hit them short. One to Shane Prendergast and I think another to Murphy. And you were going, you got to push up a little bit. You got to be a bit braver. Like like the youth, we usually associate kind of youth with, with bravery because, you know, they kind of, they don't know, they don't know how to be nervous. So they don't, but they, just in that minute, they weren't brave enough. They didn't know. They just, the lack of experience to know to be brave enough to push up, to push up on, at least push up on the midfielder so that he doesn't have time. Like, Conor Fogarty, great point, but God, he had time to hit it, you know? Like, he wasn't he wasn't having to hurry his shot because somebody was charging at him to try and get a block in. Like, he was in 15 metres of space. And in the 75th minute, that's too much. Like, to a certain extent, you're kind of going, all right, Son, if you can score from there, you can score from there. But God, you got to be braver to, to and and that's what they learn from it. And and that, sorry, that's the one thing that we we forget about them. We praise their youth and all that, but their youth is that double-edged sword because they are still learning. All right, well, we'll see if they learn enough in the next six days, the next uh, five days of this stage. That replay is on Saturday. It's obviously Tip Galway on Sunday in the second semi-final. You're on for the double there, own. Yep. Yeah, we are definitely out. I was hoping more for beyond there today. We could uh, <laughs> slag him off a small bit, but look, you're going to get a fantastic weekend of hurling next weekend. Turles on the Saturday night, you know, you're hoping you're going to get near enough, you know, a good full attendance there. Um, Sunday then, Tip and Galway, last year's semi final was just unbelievable. Tipperary had one forward that performed on the day. Seamus Callan hit 3 9, you know, the other fellow guys around him didn't contribute on the scoreboard. So, Tip, I think, are playing better as a team, as a unit this year, with the inclusion of a couple of. New guys uh, thrown into the team, the Seamus Kennedys and Michael Breen is very comfortable in his second season midfield, um, and especially John McGraw up front, who seems to just get the ball and goes at his defender. He has an eye for goal every time. So, you know, Bubbles, Odewire to come back into the equation, I don't know, will he start? Or will he be there to come on personally? I think I'd start him. Um, he's too good to, to leave off because he's well capable of scoring. And, uh, you know, I, and Galway are in a great position after beating cleared last day when they were wrote off. And Galway are the one team for these 60, 64, five minutes you see him going toe-to-toe with Kilkenny. Like, so, you know, they were, a serious, they were a serious outfit at the start of the season. I didn't know with all the internal goings-on, managers changing, you know, were they going to be a flop? But I think they've, they've turned around and they've proven themselves to be a top-four team uh, every season. So, Tip and Galway, flick of a kind, but I, I'd expect and I'd hope the hurt of Tip's defeat last year will get more over the line. But if Galway turn around and win that game, I wouldn't be one bit surprised. Whereas if Waterford had to win yesterday, you'd be saying it's a shock. And if they win next weekend, you'd be still saying it's a shock. So, no, you're you're a feast of hurling next weekend, and I think it's going to be it's going to be top quality. Well, if Tip do win, we'll make sure Murphy's here next Monday as a human <laughs> punch bag for you. Oh, listen, thanks so much, and thanks very much, Malagi. No worries. Cheers, guys. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go. Downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help. I know. Downtown. Just listen to the music of the traffic in Six the street. Six foot nine outside here. Yeah. On the sidewalk, where the neon signs are by Parker. Can you lose? Pops the shot. Nothing but net. You can't forget all your troubles. Coast to coast by the Americans. Downtown. Downtown! 
Yes, 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 yes. The great Timmy McCarthy there, RT basketball commentator. Top man. Timmy Downtown McCarthy. He got so excited during the Brazil-Lithuania game that I was watching. Brazil had been 30 points down, and then mm. they cut the lead to four with yeah. about um, you know maybe a couple of minutes remaining. Uh, he was so excited that he actually forgot his catchphrases for a while. He was just commentating like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then uh, Brazil pulled away, or Lithuania, I should say, pulled away, and he got back to the downtowns and uh, nothing but nets and uh, the boom shakalaka and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I do like Timmy McCarthy. Keith Duggan is in Rio for the Irish Times. Keith, how's it all going? Are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, yeah, it's it's going very well. Um, it's it's sort of been, um, I think it's been a reasonable start for uh, for, for the Rio organisers. You know, I think there was a lot of um, um, apprehension coming into the game so they just wouldn't be able to to executed and you know so far so good there have been kind of minor quibbles and minor delays um and i'm not sure how how i suppose enthusiastic or 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 up for it the the, the people in rio are uh when it, when, it, when it comes to the games i mean you may have seen quite a few of the events of empty seats um but it's going it's it's, it's going relatively well but do you think the empty seats are because of a- a- apathy or just maybe pricing them up a little bit too high I think it's a combination, Owen, you know, and it, it also, like, the games aren't really in, in Rio, per se, as in downtown Rio, they're way up, most most of the um, arenas are up in the Barra region, so transport is, it, it's at least an hour of a journey, um, that's if traffic's going well, so, you know, I suppose people are working, obviously the economy's in recession here, and, and, and I think there probably is an issue, Um for, for for people just trying to afford to get uh, to, to to get to see to get to see the games, um, and maybe also yeah, like we, we were watching the open ceremony on Friday night in downtown Rio, and you know the local people there out and around they were they were kind of watching the big screens or the, rather screens and the TVs, but they weren't you know they weren't glued to it by any means. It was sort of it was just something that was happening, you know. So I don't get the sense that they're um, they're absolutely kind of, you know, obsessed with the idea of hosting the games in the way that was apparent in London and certainly in, 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 in Sydney in 2000, you know, where it became this huge national event. Well, we all got our jolt over here with the Michael O'Reilly story just to get us fully engaged with the Olympics right at the start. But the boxing is already moving on. We, we might talk a little bit about O'Reilly, but David Oliver Joyce and Stephen Donnelly uh, won impressively at the weekend and you were there to see them. I think t- I was watching the David Oliver Joyce fight last night Keith, I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch at these Olympic Games. Oh, he really is. He just, he just, he, he only has a go forward button, you know. <laughs> he, uh, he, he's very busy and he, he's an aggressive fighter and he's very, very confident, you know, and he's really, really worked hard to get here. He might have given up. I think he virtually had given up after failing to uh, qualify for London and uh, it was a sort of death of his grandmother and inspired him to give it, to give, to give it one last shot and now here he is at 29 and I don't think he has uh, any intention of, 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 of bowing, out, um, bowing out too quickly. This seems to be a common theme with a lot of these boxers that they go through at least one period of massive self-doubt where they, n- yeah. N- yeah, they nearly go, they nearly quit it. Or in the case of Stephen Donnelly who was fighting at the weekend, he was uh, we sent home from the Commonwealth game, I think, games a number of years ago, and that led right. to a difficult period. Delhi, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I believe he... Um, yeah, I mean, he, he he got sent home for, I guess, was kind of useful indiscretion. He 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 lost his event. He he was in the 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 athletes compound, and I believe it seems 
kind of um, had a few beers late at night and just just made a bit too much noise, got himself sent home. And I think he said afterwards in an interview that the following kind of couple of years were just just lost years from when he just got into a cycle of he, he quit boxing, was drinking too much, kind of getting himself in, in fights and the usual kind of stuff. Um, and then for whatever reason, you know, he just he just decided that he had to uh, he had to get back in the box and apologize to those around him and you know he's really rehabilitated himself and I mean he performed so well in his fight yesterday morning here uh, very very comfortable just very very composed uh, he was he was you know just picking off jobs and won, won, his, won his fight very very comfortably but then afterwards you know as well just his his whole demeanor and, and, and the way he spoke about himself and just about the, the Irish camp in general was very impressive the quality will step up, obviously, for both of them, particularly David Oliver Joyce. It's Albert Selimov he's got on Tuesday night. He's a world silver medalist. But uh, it yeah. sounds like himself and the coaching team will give it, a, give it a go anyway. Yeah, and, you know, he's sparred him a few times and, and Eddie Bulger speaking, speaking afterwards just seemed very confident that, not, not, not necessarily that he'd win, but that it would be a close fight. He kind of feels that they're evenly matched. And I think he feels Joyce is kind of coming in slightly under the radar because of the fact that you know, he, he, it's, it's, it's taken him this long to qualify, but, you know, he has this depth of experience. And, you know, it, it's there's just a, a very kind of um, strong aura of calm and confidence about the whole the whole Irish setup. You know, they just they seem to expect to win every every, every bite they, uh, they, they take on. Yeah, that calmness remains in place despite the Michael O'Reilly suspension. He's now getting his B sample tested and it's interesting yeah. I don't know if I'm reading too too much into this but the, there are a couple of ways for the boxers to answer questions about Michael O'Reilly and one is to rally round him and really say no he's done nothing wrong here and everything's going to be sorted they've taken the other approach which is uh, an, which is maybe what the sports psychologist would advise and that is to say look this is nothing to do this is not going to affect us one way or the other we're concentrating our own fights and that's that that certainly seems to be the vibe I'm getting from them yeah, uh, that's exactly it. I mean, as Donnelly said um, after his fight, you know, it's already old news, and I, I think he meant that literally. That you know, I, I, I presume as well when you're when you're taking part in the Olympics, your mindset has to be extraordinarily singular, even if you're part of a team, and you know you have to be selfish. So I imagine that whatever you know, mixed emotions they felt towards the variety, you know, sympathy, annoyance disbelief, whatever, at, at the actual time, that, you know, they have moved on, they have to think about their own fights, and they are concentrating on the ring now, and, you know, his his situation, I mean, it, it, it's terrible for him, but, you know, there really was a sense that, you know, they're just taking, they're, they're just, they're just going through, they're just going through the fights now, you know, day mm-hmm. by day, and, and that's the way it's going to be. People seem to be... I guess take cotton hop a little bit that now, well, the whole O'Reilly story seems to have caught people on the hop on a number of occasions, but even the latest development that he's going to get his B sample tested is seems to have come as somewhat of a surprise. How actively involved, you know, are the boxing coaches in all this at this stage? Do they just leave it to him and, and Sport Ireland and everyone to sort out? Or the, do the coaches have to remain quite involved with O'Reilly? I mean, as you can probably understand, they're fairly... Um, hesitance, reticent about answering questions um, relating to O'Reilly, um, mainly because you're meeting them immediately after bouts at the mix zone, and they're beside their 
you know, the, the, their immediate fighter that moment, and, and they're concentrated on that. Get the sense that they're 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 they're. I, I mean, I, I just don't know how closely they're involved in him right now. You know, he's still he's still part. You know, he's still part of their stable at the end of the day. So I, I'm sure privately they're 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 chatting with him and and and, and seeing what happens. But in terms of um, the public messages, that it's just you know. It's it's happened. They've moved on. Next fight. It's 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 very um it's very kind of composed and and, and, and business like really. I'm told that you're hoping to get to the pool tonight. You're obviously taken in by the performances of Phelps and Katie Ledecky last night. Yeah, Phelps obviously won another gold in the relay, um, but Katie Ledecky's um, swim in the 400 freestyle was was it was mind boggling really. Um, you know, she 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 obliterated her own world record. But the stunning thing was, you know, the the, the gold line the show as the as the, as the swimmers race to denote the 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 gold record uh, distance. Generally speaking, the swimmers are behind it, or maybe their fingertips are touching it as they go. But she was a full body length in front of it. So at one point in the race, the gold record line was actually chasing her. You know, which I'd, I'd, I'd never seen before. It was it was extraordinary. One interesting development I've noticed in the last couple of days: Mac Horton, this Australian gold medalist, has there's essentially a diplomatic incident between Australia and China yeah. at the moment because he called Sun yeah. Yang a drug cheat. Yang yeah. did serve it. Even Fiona Doyle, the Irish swimmer, made reference to the the Russian who was quite surprisingly yeah. allowed to compete yeah. in her. Yeah, in her event, despite yeah, yeah. previously um, previously uh, having a positive on her record, is it just me or the athletes being a lot more open now in like you know calling each other cheats when they used to dance around the subject well, a little bit? It certainly seems to be open season in Russia, and um, Lily King, the American hundred meter breaststroke uh, specialist, she took up the baton um, after Fiona Doyle. And uh, she had strong words for um, Eleanor as well, um, who she's going to race against tonight in the in the final. So it's a real kind of a cold war brewing between the US and Russia again. It's going to be, I'd say, it's going to be a very terrorist atmosphere this evening in there. You know, mm. um, I think the the Russian swimmer was openly she was openly booed um, after the semi-finals last night, and uh, I expect um, yeah she'll receive a, a you know fairly fraud perception tonight as well. Um, obviously, the Americans, as always, have a big kind of contingent, even in the stands, in the pool, so they, they, tend, they tend to make a lot of noise. Um, so it's going to be, um, yeah, there's going to be really intense interest on that on that particular race this evening. Yeah, I'm not sure it's why we all, exactly why we all got into watching sport in the first place, Keith, but it's it's intriguing to watch nonetheless. Yeah. Listen, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll chat to you again in the next few days. Thanks a million. Cheers, Owen. It might be worth just giving a little bit more detail on uh, the, well, a couple of those stories that we mentioned there around Olympians calling out other other Olympians for being cheats, which mm. is happening more and more, it does seem. I mentioned the Mac Horton, uh, the Australian swimmer, him and Sun Yang getting into a war. Well, not really a war of words. It was uh, Mac Horton was bombarding Sun Yang, the Chinese swimmer, with some words, and the nation of China is not happy. No, um, I mean, Mac Horton... You know, said he called Sun Yang a drug cheat or whatever. Um, technically speaking, he is. He was banned for taking a banned substance for three months. Now, Sun Yang's argument is that he didn't realize that the, th- the thing that he took was banned. Mm-hmm. It was uh, medication for heart palpitations. Apparently, he's got a, an issue with his heart. Um, that the Chinese uh, uh, athlete medication guideline 
uh, published in March 2014, which is a month before his positive test, listed it as legal. Um, and it was only a couple of months later that the new version of it came out and they said, oh, actually, that's now banned. And it was in the interim that he was actually, uh, that he tested positive, served a three-month ban and WADA didn't appeal, mm-hmm. um, which suggests that they're content with the, that the ban reflects the severity of the offence. Um, so then to be called a drug cheat uh, by Mac Horton, and Horton himself afterwards said, you know, um, is reported um, to have said that, you know, he was trying to get into the head of a competitor. You know, this is what he was trying to do. Um, so so this is a kind of blown up because the Chinese, you know, the Chinese don't really like this. Um, Chinese sort of supporters uh, of Sun Yang. Sun Yang is like a very popular athlete in China. And, you know, deluging Mac Horton with sort of abuse online, uh, changing his Wikipedia. Mackenzie uh, Mac Horton, born 25th April 1996, is a racist Australian freestyle swimmer. You know, this this type of Wikipedia editing um, abuse everywhere. And see, there was a video of Sun, Sun Yang crying. Uh, did you see it? No. He was like in the mix zone and he was crying. Um, and like it's the most popular video in Chinese kind of internet and everyone's like, oh, don't cry, son. Don't cry, Sun Yang. Um, and then going onto Mac Horton's Facebook to abuse him and uh, call him a snake. And the Chinese, one of the Chinese newspapers, uh, Global Times, which is described in The Guardian as a mouthpiece for the reading Communist Party, uh, says, in many serious essays written by Westerners, Australia is mentioned as a country at the fringes of civilization. In some cases, they refer to the country's early history as Britain's offshore prison. This suggests no one should be surprised at uncivilized acts emanating from this country. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's gone. It's turned nasty. Fiona Doyle. This is what she had to say about Yulia Efimova, the 100-meter breaststroke swimmer. She uh, So Efimova had served a 16-month suspension for doping. So I don't know how she actually is in the Olympic Games because that was supposed to be one of the uh, one of the absolute no-nos that the IOC had. Okay, we'll let some Russians in, but anyone who's doped in the past, no, not happening. But she's in. She also tested positive this year for meldonium. Mm. See, there was a lot of there was a certain grey area. It used to be illegal. Yeah. So anyway, Doyle. Loads of athletes with heart problems needed to take it for their symptoms. <laughs> a lot of heart problems in Russia at that time, apparently. But Fiona Doyle said cheaters are cheaters, and Fina caved. And it's not that's the governing body of uh, swimming. It's not fair in the rest of the athletes. She's tested positive five times this year, and she's gotten away with it. It's frustrating. The fact that Fina's going back in their word, and the IOC is going back in their word. Who are we supposed to trust now? Fina say we are a clean sport, but we're not. So that's pretty strong stuff. She also, this is Doyle, she also gave probably the most heartbreaking interview so far to RT TV. The 100 is really my best event. This is what I came here to do. And the 200 is a kind of completely different ballgame altogether. So I'll have to just look at the footage and see what I did and what I could do better. And I mean, tomorrow's a new day. So. No need to be too disappointed. It's an Olympic experience. It's been your dream. How has it been for you so far? <laughs> it's been. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's been fantastic, and I've loved every minute of it. I felt absolutely fantastic in warm-up. I felt better than I've ever felt in my whole life. So to not progress on, it's... I'm devastated. Well, look, everyone is very proud of you in Limerick and all across Ireland. Congratulations, Fiona. Well done, and don't be too down. Thank you. Fiona Doyle there chatting to... Paul O'Flynn, who was doing his best to uh, to offer a bit of support there. But it's interesting, uh, you know, it's, t- it's tough for an athlete, obviously, to speak in those circumstances. But for swimmers who then have to get back in the next day and mm. compete in another event, it's, it's 
crazy. You know, if you were only if you were a sports psychologist and you were only training a swimmer mentally for one event, mm. you would definitely not tell them, okay, the best way to train for this one event is uh, the best way to be perfectly ready mentally is to do a completely different event the day before and potentially get knocked out of it, no. thereby r- crushing your confidence. You know, it's kind of a, it's a funny one. It's just the way it is. Now, uh, as a as a sort of a counterpoint to that, obviously swimming does uh, particularly the better you are, like the top guys like Phelps get opportunities to win five or six gold medals in the games mm. because they are they have the capacity to compete in other events, and it's not all just down to one. Yeah, I mean, the one thing is that if you are a swimmer, you are used to doing that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of, that's the way that it is. Uh, in every competition that you, that you play in, you, you probably do, you know, you, not, not, there's not too many who are just doing one event. Very heightened at the Olympics, though. Uh, yeah, it is, but like everything, that's that's kind of the that's that's <laughs> what it is. You know, you, you've got to be. I mean, it's difficult because it only happens every four years, so there's so much pressure on it. And you kind of, if if it doesn't go the way that you want, um, especially if it's your first time doing it, it can just seem as though your entire life has been a waste. That's a difficult thing to get your head around. Now, obviously, it's a kind of a delusional, blackly pessimistic way of looking at it which I think, you know, the vast majority of athletes after even just a couple of hours will have begun to get their heads around, okay, look, you know, this is not really the end of the world. But it really feels like the end of the world, I think, at times. It's very difficult to, it's very difficult to go out and sort of enjoy yourself in, in this situation. There was one, there was one uh, performance yesterday. It was in gymnastics. It was one of the Brazilian um, women's gymnasts in the team event, who was on the beam, who got like the first 15, she got like 15.133. I can't remember her name, but it was just a sensational performance. Like she just got up, did absolutely nailed the whole thing. It was brilliant. But managed to look as though she was really kind of enjoying the moment. You know, it was like, yeah, of course, this is it. Like I've been, I've been waiting for this a long time and I'm going to get up here I'm going to go through all this stuff that I know how to do. I'm going to do really well. I'm going to jump off. Everyone's going to be really happy and uh, and impressed with me. And I'm going to get a really high score and everyone's going to be delighted. <laughs> the Irish boxers are like that. David Oliver Joyce was like that. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course. This is, I mean, I'm finally here. Why wouldn't I be boxing the head off this other fella? <laughs> it was brilliant. And I mean, I don't know how much of it was just the fact that she was smiling. You know, it just looked that way. But it just, it really seemed that, okay, the fact that she confidently executed everything, got the highest score of the day so far, you know, she, she did do pretty well. Mm. But you just kind of got the sense, oh, this is, this is a, a performer who's kind of, who's really relishing the opportunity to perform here, as opposed to worried about what might go wrong. And it's so, it's so difficult. I mean, I suppose it comes naturally to some people to be in that state of mind, but it can be difficult with all of the, all the work that's gone into it. So much work. Like it's the tiny little, the tiny little point at the top of this massive pyramid of work, you know, that stretches back for years. And the thought of like something going wrong at that moment just is crippling to a lot of people. Well, we're going to talk to an Irish Olympian, uh, former world champion and European champion, Dervil O'Rourke, on tomorrow's bonus uh, Irish Times Second Captain's Olympics podcast. Looking forward to that. She's got a new book out uh, all about healthy eating and uh, healthy training, all that kind of stuff. So we'll chat about that, but also about uh, her own experiences and the Olympics and the track and field, which starts 
on Friday. But Oshie McConville and Carol Mannion are both here now. Lads, how are things? Hey, morning. morning. Now, one of those semi-finalists will be Mayo after proving the doubters wrong. And by the doubters, I mean you, Oshie McConville. <laughs> I was going to say, you I was, was going to say, hopefully you had a memory loss and I was going <laughs> to say, just as we predicted. <laughs> I did have to double check with Simon, actually. I was like, Oshie did fairly hammer Mayo last week, didn't he? And he was like, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, impressed at the weekend? I, w- I was impressed with them. Like we, I'm sure we'll get on to talking about I suppose it's, it's fair to say that Mayo got a tactically mm. uh, very right at the weekend. Alan Dillon didn't see that. I didn't see that one coming. Um, I think Tyrone, to a large extent, played into their hands. I think the one thing that Mayo did really well was to stop the runners down the middle. I mean, Maddie Donnelly, okay, he scored a couple of exceptional points, but he had to go right, he had to go left. There was no room down the middle with Higgins, Boyle, and, and and I suppose even the way Dylan played, you know that he filtered in back, you know across and covered up bit of space. Uh, Mayo did enough to get over the lane. <laughs> Killian O'Connor, you know, stepped up big time. Aidan O'Shea had as good a game as he's had. Yeah. Seamus O'Shea, you know, done well from you know in the middle of the field. So Mayo had all the best players. And yet, still only won by a point. So, like, as much as we give them serious kudos, because it, it, for me it was like, you know, that's a game that Mayo have lost, you know, in the past, and 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 contrived to lose through them through their, I suppose, their own deficiencies. But I have to give them a lot of credit for getting over the line. He's clearly straining to have a go to Rome here, Carl. <laughs> Maybe get on to that. But it is worth dwelling on uh, that uh, tactical victory, tactical triumph yeah. for Mayo, because obviously Stephen Rochford was under uh, fair degree, th- and the players were under fair degree of pressure to <coughs> show that they actually could do it under this manager. Yeah. So, we, so we, we, not, not that they were world beaters yesterday, but are on Saturday. Yeah, Ocean kind of mentioned there when he said the throne kind of played into Mayo's hand. Like Mayo have always been a straight up 15 on 15 team go all out to win the game but obviously this year they've reverted to a bit more of a defensive system a bit more methodical about what to do so when system teams come up against system teams they tend to neutralise each other and Mayo because they come up with a really systematic team like Tyrone Tyrone weren't able to break them down because they reverted their system Mayo had their system so it kind of was a bit of a standoff for a lot of the game <laughs> and Mayo I think just had the couple of players that could kind of step outside their system uh, and produce the goods when they had to produce the goods like Lee Keegan stepping up and uh, Aidan O'Shea like Oshin mentioned uh, after the Ulster final about Sean Kavanagh kind of stepping out from the system that uh, uh, Tyrone played that yeah, day like K- K- Kabaddi style and I, do, and I do, was away for that podcast and doing, but I enjoyed it and doing a couple of things you know that got them over the line I think Mayo even though they were playing their system they still have that in their in their armoury you know that they are a, a team that just goes for it they have got them players that play on the edge off the cuff and they saw them over the line so what Tyrone just couldn't adapt Essentially, the players, they, they, they had this plan for Mickey Hart, but they, they weren't able uh, to adapt it as, as the game developed. I don't know whether you'd agree with this, Carl, but I, I thought part of Thrones' problem was psychological. I think they read a lot more into the win in the Ulster final than maybe they should have. I felt going into the game that there was two players in particular that would prosper in Crow Park, and that was McAlisky and O'Neill. And the reverse was, was, was true. Because I think when you get locked up in 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 Ulster football, sometimes you just like it's like your body. You feel a say of relief, the fact that the Ulster Championship is over. You're heading for Crow Park. You're gonna have more space. You're gonna have the opportunity to express yourself a little bit more. You're gonna get on the ball a little bit more. I thought Tyrone may have played a little bit more positively, um, and therefore get those two players on the ball a little bit more. 
they had chances too. Both of them had chances, but they failed to deliver. And the one thing you'll hear about, I suppose, is the fact that when Sean Cavanaugh was off on, they didn't have the leaders to get them over mm. the lane. They still had opportunities, mm. and they probably lacked that little bit of quality that has that has got them over the lane in the past. Ha- Peter Hard and, and Matty Donnelly, I thought, you know, yeah. really stepped up. But other than that. Yeah, like, like last year against Kerry, uh, the chances fell to Colin McAllister and yeah. Mark Bradley, and that was a big thing coming into this year. That everyone knew Matty Donnelly, the two Cavaliers, and Peter Hart would be to the fore, uh, leading the charge. Had they had been through Ulster, and it was going to be the the younger players coming through that were going to have to add to it to get them over the line, to get them to an All Ireland final, to get them to be successful in Crow Park. And when it came to it on Sunday, those lads weren't able to produce yeah. it. Uh, when Cavanaugh went off, I thought Tyrone did some very uncharacteristic things. Like, I've watched Matty Donny now for years, and I'm always saying, take on the shot, take on the shot. But he has a great understanding of when to take the shot. He always yeah. waits in the last second when he knows he's going to get it. He took a shot, I think, about a minute after Cavanaugh went off from a ridiculous distance. And I thought, gee, that's not like Matty mm. Donny to do that. Then Cotton McCarron came up, Tiernan McCann came up. They're not the kind of people that are taking mm-hmm. on shots from the 50-yard line. Very uncharacteristic. And the one was, obviously, McCurry. He was the one that should have taken on the shot, and that's why that was the most surprising one that went mm-hmm. wide. And Noel Morgan taking on the shot, by the way. I've, yeah. I've got an issue here. That's, I was going to bounce this off Murph, but he's not here today. I think goalkeepers have to... Some, someone has to step in here. Why do they do managers keep giving goalkeepers these long-range oh, to- oh. And I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about how much time it takes. I, I, I'd accept the time if they went up and banged them over yeah. the whole time. But they always miss. Yeah. And yeah. they, they, they I, I, miss so you, often. You would accept a Cluxton or a, or a Rory Began who the majority of the time... I'm not even sure about Began, but I don't... Right, okay. I, I well, to, I, I, well, let's take Cluxton. Yeah. Cluxton aside, because who was the one that started this mm. this revolution? Um, but yeah... In, like take a, take him up and hit a forty five because he's got the distance. Uh, I don't agree with it. That was Tyrone's best return all year from free kicks, sixty percent, six out of ten. Uh, not one free kick did they kick over the bar from outside thirty yards, and that's a recurring problem now for five six years. And how somebody hasn't grabbed Sean Cavanagh and said, Sean, you're taking the free kicks because you're a, and that's the other thing about free kicks, like. If you're having a very, very quiet game, a free kick can bring you into the mm. game. And I thought the other day was the time for Sean. Um, this is, uh, genuinely, this is not the first time I've thought about this. Uh, Sean Cavanagh, I thought, should have been given that responsibility to hit those frees. The other thing is that after Morgan kicking the two, the two, two wide in the first half... He should never have been allowed up for that last yeah. one. They should have tried to walk something and walk a shot. I, I was going to ask you, actually, Oisin, uh, his confidence obviously would have been great. And as a free take yourself, did you see Darren McCurry come over to him just before he took it? And kind of, it looked like he asked him, do you want me to take it? I'm sure as yeah. a free take, that's the last thing you want <laughs> someone to say to you. Yeah. Do you want me to take it? Because that would have hit his confidence even more, surely. Yeah, the only thing I would say about Darren McCurry is you should grab the ball off him. Yeah. You know, you should have grabbed the ball off him and said, listen, this is, this is for me. Darren McCurry had an opportunity in the, the drawing game against Cavan, if you remember. He came on and he kicked a brilliant free kick. And it put uh, it put Tyrone four points up. Cavan got back at a goal and a point, and he was got another opportunity. And if you if you break down his technique, we've talked about this before, if you break down his technique, it's completely different. You watch the way Neil Morgan takes his free kicks. Every single free kick is completely different regardless of where he's hitting the free kick from. So it's not the same thing as you watch Cluxon set the ball down, same amount of steps back, same action, same striking action. Watch Dean Rock 
goes through the same routine, same striking action. Doesn't matter where that free kick is, is on that field. Even some of the awkward angles, even one that he kicked in the second half uh, when, when Donegal was sort of coming back into the game and just quashed him straight away. And if you've got a free taker that consistently is kicking the ball over the bar, it, the rest of the team can get, garner some confidence from that. And it's the, it's the opposite, you know. Yeah. It's it's the same in reverse, you know. When you're, you know, doing so so much work to get that opportunity, and then to kick it wide, it's totally demoralising. Carl, are you with us? Myself, and Oshin. We're going to launch our <laughs> as noted free kickers on yourself. Exactly, definitely yeah. The the other element to this that, that's interesting is the sending off of Sean Cavanagh. And this is a theme during the weekend that these big-name players are being targeted. Now, Cavanagh doesn't quite have maybe the reputation that Dermot Connolly does for, for losing it a little bit. Owen O'Gara obviously sent off as well. I mean, the question on the front page of the Irish Times is, is Connolly being targeted by rivals? And it's almost a rhetorical question, I guess. All, all these top players are going to be given a bit of treatment in some ways. Would you be critical of... Well, maybe we'll start, we'll start with the... Uh, we're still on this game. We'll start with the Sean Cavanagh case. Mm. Sean, did Sean Kavanagh, did he show a lack of leadership by getting himself sent off? Uh, well, on the first instance, maybe with Keegan, uh, it was hard to see actually what happened and who instigated it from mm. the TV camera. So it's hard to say. So like that can just be a yellow you pick up because someone is squaring up to you, you're squaring up to them, you know, and you get on a toss from the ground. The second one, it was probably just an awkward challenge, you know, that he realised when he put the hand in, it was... At the last second, he he looked to take it out. He realised what he was doing. He had his leg across O'Shea's legs as well. It was just a very clumsy challenge. And I think it was just something that in the, the heat of the moment, he didn't mean to do. So the, the, whether he's targeted or not, though, I'm not sure. Like uh, It's very rich, I think, for Mickey Hart to come out and say that uh, he was targeted, considering that half of the, his Toronto team were targeting Aidan O'Shea and some of the other players. Like The way they reacted to Aidan O'Shea losing the first ball, they got pumped in them, was like just, it, was, it was pretty bad to see. So for Mickey Hart to, to see his eight, of, eight or nine of his players go around doing a bit of mouthing, squaring up to people, and then to claim that Sean Cavan is getting targeted, like what kind of world is he living in? Although it's a new thing for Mayo, if they ha- if they are targeting, I congratulate them on it because that's something that Mayo have been lacking. I think um, that you know that they maybe haven't had that ruthlessness, that badness, that bit of devilment that maybe other teams have had. <clears throat> and I think through defeat, they've learned they've learned that over the last number of years. Tony Mack has probably helped them on that regard as well, in that he would know Tyrone inside out, he know what was coming down the track, but. The restraint that Aidan O'Shea showed at the opposite end of the field, you know. I, I thought it was kind of naive as well that Tyrone took that approach on such a large scale, considering like, Mayo have been to the last, what, six semi finals now? Mm. They've been to a couple of finals. These aren't like a bunch of Muppets up from the West, like yeah. for the day out. Like, they're a hardened team, like. Yeah. And like, Aidan O'Shea reacted brilliantly to the abuse he was getting. Yeah. Like, he had a fantastic game. It's possibly the first, the best game he's played moving between midfield and full forward. Yeah. He got the balance perfect on Sunday. Lee Keegan, like he was obviously in Sean Cavanagh's face, but I'm sure he was getting plenty of it too. He was able to keep calm and push on and score the scores. Killian O'Connor the same. Like these guys are battle hardened. Like they're not pe- people you're going yeah. to intimidate quite easily. Like, and I agree with the fact that you know it did work for him at full forward, even though it was only the time that the long ball went in the first half and, and I only seen it last night because in real time it just looks as if he's going up in the malaise of three, four players and you know he somebody managed to break it down and it happens to break luckily to more and more. It's like you can actually see him putting his, the palm of his hand up and it's coming off the palm of his hand straight down to Andy Moore. He kicks it over the yeah. bar. It's a while since, since Mayo have been able to do that. One of the most mentally strong players I think in the game is Killian O'Connor. Regardless of what you throw at him, he seems to be able to 
continuously come up with the goods. And you could, you could argue that he's had a quiet enough year so far, but really come to life. On, on, yeah, even on when Saturday. I remember playing against him as an 18 and 9-year-old, like whenever he got a chance, he stuck it. Like, and even yeah. at that stage, he was so mentally I strong. think the bigger the occasion and the more it means, the more he seems to step up. It's a great sign of player. What about Dermot Connolly? My friend who was at the game with has a theory that he should be... If Dermot Connolly gets yellow-carded, you're probably better off just taking him off because he's, he's walking too much of a tightrope at that stage and, of course, that, that, that was vindicated during that game. Do you have sympathy for Connolly? Yeah, well, the more it happens, the more you have to take that into account, like, you know, that you maybe have to take him off. Uh, he doesn't seem to be managing as well, uh, getting a little bit of stick and getting a little bit of attention he's getting. Uh, like, he probably should sit down during the week and look at the Aidan O'Shea reaction to all the abuse he was getting and the performance he put in. Like, I'd like to see Connolly just step away from uh, reacting to a lot of that and just concentrating on the way he can play because the way he's playing is just fantastic when he's on form, when he wants to concentrate on kicking points, uh, navigating through three or four different guys. Uh, just his movement is amazing. Like He doesn't have to get involved in any of that. Like His skills and his, uh, his, just, his, his awareness and his vision just... That's what he should be concentrating on. So he, not he, involved. So, and the, yeah. if lads are in your face, like you know, just. Well, his argument is that if lads are in, in, in his argument, I presume would be if lads are in his face and they're also on top of him on the ground at times, and that he, maybe he's fighting his corner there. That's yeah. if Jeremy Connolly was sitting I, here I, making I, a point. The one thing I, I keep thinking about this is that I th- really think at this stage his teammates can help him out a lot more. I think when Dermot Connolly, you know, just says, "Listen, just somebody else is going to deal with that." Let's say Flynn or mm. you know Rock or you know. Macaulay or Bastic or somebody who'll just get, get in and get out rather than get in get and get themselves. them out and the yeah. chances of them getting a yellow card the chances of Dan McConnelly you're not going to believe this right but before the game before the game I was doing a piece where I was doing uh, radio stuff with BBC and I said Kieran Brannigan has has a history of picking out the most high profile player on the field and getting and, and sending them off now whether that's just because that has that's the way the game has gone, but that is a recurring theme with him, and it was ironic that it should be mm. Connolly that that walked the other day. But I think his teammates need to get in there, and the chances of them getting the yellow card is probably less than the likes of Dermot Connolly. His teammates need to get in there, get him, get the other players out of there, and get Connolly out of there, and get on with it. You didn't see the incident during the game where Flynn put in a uh, attack. Connolly had Ray McHugh bottled up and Flynn come in and give away a free kick. Yeah. And he pushed Flynn away on the way out. Like he was just there's just there's just that edge with Dermot Connolly. He's always on the edge. Does his manager have to get do a little bit more here? Because I'm pretty sure I saw him shaking his hand on the way off. So after yeah. Connolly's gotten sent off. And this is a debate that happens in other sports as well, whether or not you should really be doing that. Is that is that condoning a player's actions in a way by shaking his hand as he comes off? I think he does that with everybody, regardless yeah. of what happens, and mm. that seems to be a thing. We're, we're all in this together, walked, kind of thing. Yeah, that they've walked on, and if there is going to be some sort of words, it'll be very much Jim Gavin style behind closed doors. And a, yeah, and well, I mean, I wasn't expecting him to berate him. I don't think Jim <laughs> yeah. Gavin would be Jim Gavin. Yeah. But I know what you're saying. But you he, know, you, he just, you, you, he you just makes a point to shake hands yeah, with yeah. everybody, regardless <clears> of the situation. I think. What did you make of Dublin overall? Yeah, I thought Dublin were actually quite lucky. To, mm. to get out of the game uh, in the first half they obviously knew that uh, Donegal were going to play defensively uh, and they took their time and they picked their gaps and they went hard at it when they got their, those gaps got into a nice lead we were 11-4 up 5 minutes 10 minutes into the second half and for some reason they start, decided not to go with Dublin not to go with Donegal like, they just sat back Kieran Kenny got on the ball and f- 
whether it was his decision or whether Gavin told him, he all of a sudden decided we're going to play the ball around our own 45-yard line and not go forward at all. That set the tone for the rest of the game for Dublin. Uh, and it was it was quite strange. Like It allowed Donegal to stay in a match that they should have been well out of by halfway through the second half. Uh, it was very surprising to see Kieran Kilkenny, I thought, get man of the match. Uh, people, I think, got blinded by the possession stakes. Very F- 52 plays, yeah, apparently. Were... 15 of them contributing positively the rest just hanging around the half back line doing nothing when it also set the tone for Dublin to be so passive in the second half yeah I thought Kev McManaman in fairness was the one player who constantly went to Donegal and created those gaps and created the scores uh, and it was a game that Dublin should have had out side well before the finish but they let Donegal stay in it Thank you Carla see that see the possession one in Gaelic football sometimes it it does really tell a lay but the the one thing I would say about Dublin the weekend was that they have become very stubborn and Jim Gavin I think has learned uh, a hell of a lot down through the last couple of years in that they're not worried about about entertaining people anymore they just want to win and if it so be it if if the team uh, if a team wants to play defensively against them they'll be as stubborn as them and match up defensively and win that way and I think it's a signal that he's sending out so that the next team that come along aren't as defensive as the team as the team previous. And I think that's something they've worked on. It happened against Derry last, not last February, February before that in, in the league. And since that, they've been a lot more stubborn and a lot harder to break down and a lot harder to play against. And they're a tough... Dublin, you know, you don't give always give them credit, for, but they're tough and they're physical. And they, as well, have that little bit of badness that it takes to be... a to be a, a very good team not and plus the fact you're talking about a team that didn't really function up front the other day they relied on a, a few individuals McManaman and, and in particular Mannion coming off the bench it's, it's going back into the depth of the squad again you know when, when you have that quality coming but off you wouldn't want that stubbornness though to get the better than Oisin uh, like we're looking at the first half and looking at the second half. Dublin were going to win the game a lot easier by going at Donegal yeah. like they did in the first half. Whereas sitting back, I agree. And I, I agree, but I still, stay in the game. I still think it's it's proven a point. I really do think there's proven a point, and and I think I think the I think the wheels are changing as a result of that. I think that defensive football is something that's on its way out. Mm. Maybe they, they, well, they, they clicked a flashback at halftime of what happened to them in 2014. Yeah, and they missed a couple of early goal chances as well, so that was flashing across yeah. my mind a little bit at, at that stage. But surely Kerry aren't going to be lulled into thinking they're going to have to go all-out attack against Dublin just because no, Dublin can play it either way. No, they're not, but Dublin, on the other hand, will be as defensive as, 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 as Kerry will be. And that's a game that Dublin absolutely needed the other day. They needed that game, and they needed a fairly tough game. And they, for large parts, they they, they got it, and they can thrive through their sendings off to, to get a probably a tougher game than 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 yeah. they, than they, 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 the game deserved on the day. But uh, I just think it's a game that they really really needed, and just keep improving now. All right, lads, we leave it there. Brilliant stuff, Ushin. Carol, thank you. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, aestheticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Young goalkeepers of Ireland, you have heard Ushin McConville speak. You have heard me speak. <laughs> and uh, advise you. It's not even your fault. I mean, you you all want to go up there. You're stuck in those nets for so long. You, when a free, when a shot of glory presents itself, yeah, everyone saw Stephen Cluxton in 2011 and they want to be the hero, but it just does not seem to work. So managers of Ireland, stop sending your goalkeepers up to take free kicks that they are invariably going to miss. Ken, what's mm-hmm. in today's Irish Time set? Football podcast. 
that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really uh, you can laugh I'm to walk up I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me what are you doing down here? You're surely mad. Well, Owen, it's been a controversial week. Another controversial week for the FAI, uh, the Irish football governing body, which has, uh, I suppose, should really should be quite proud of the performance of Dundalk. Uh, in getting into the Europa League and maybe even yet the Champions League. A great week for the domestic game. But unfortunately, uh, things haven't gone. Not everything is going that swimmingly. Uh, some of the clubs are now in open rebellion over what they view as a derisory uh, grant sum uh, being offered to them by the FAI under their latest uh, uh, sort of uh, scheme to get the league organised. So we had Dion Fanning in here to talk to us about... Uh, some of this he's been speaking to Fran Gavin, the FAI's competitions director, to get their point of view. Um, but yeah, uh, a kind of uh, an interesting situation and uh, a troublesome one for John Delaney as he takes in the Olympics over in Rio. Have a listen to our Olympics podcast also. That'll be tomorrow, Tuesday. We'll have all the latest from Rio. In the meantime, thanks very much, Ken. And thank you too. Owen. And thanks for listening. We will talk to you very soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.